Campus 180 Radio. Funny, thoughtful, real. Hey ladies, if you enjoy hearing cheesy yet meaningful quotes, listening to funny stories, or just talking about the college life, then check out the Live Radiant podcast, only on Campus 180 Radio. This is This Could Be It. We talk about stuff that matters. We are going to forgo any bad news and groaning this week, despite having things to groan about, and we decided to do a list. Uh, we're going to do a three by three. We each chose three apps that we find useful or beneficial. So, who wants to start? Ladies first, I think. Oh, okay. All right. My first one will be Duolingo, which is a pretty popular language learning app. They've got like 12 different languages that you can learn. It's all free and it's fun because they, they teach it to you like you're a little kid. Um, with cool cartoons and prizes and incentives. Um, I find it actually very, uh, very good at teaching foreign language too. So I'm picking up a lot of Spanish and French these days. Just two out of the 12 languages? Yeah. That's okay. That's a good amount. Steve, what do you got? So my first one is Headspace. I think I've talked about this before. It was um, your choose one week. Yes. Yeah. So Headspace it has a basic free um, setting, I guess, or whatever, like where you can access certain things. But if you pay a pretty modest subscription, it opens you up to a whole bunch of other things that you can do. Um, so they have like guided meditations and um, they've got teaching stuff about, and they've got exercise stuff. They've got sleep things like there's, and with the sleep stuff, it's sleep meditations and sleep stories and soundscapes and stuff. Most of them are excellent. So that's my, that's my thing. That's my chosen app. All right. Terrific. Uh, my first one is random.org's randomizer app. Uh, I think it's a small fee, like $3 for, you know, lifetime access or whatever um, but it has randomizers for coin flips for dice rolls for um, names for lists um, you can kind of generate your own thing i've used it to kind of help me select different board game difficulties and combinations and like really customizable things i've used it for picking out groups of people in large group settings i've used it for just hey, let's all name a couple different places we'd like to eat in the next couple of weeks. And then when it's time, you hit that random button. And if it's one that we've done recently, we'll ignore it and hit the button again. But it helps us kind of pick our chooses a little bit faster. Mm -hmm. oh, that's fun. I'll also do my next right. one so we don't all have to go in the same order. Um, my next app is the With God Daily, Daily Devotional app it is um from sky jatani's ministry measure the clouds he writes a daily devotional he often records an audio version right now the devotions are recapping some of martin luther king jr sermons and uh, mm -hmm. how they're applicable to us in our faith even still today 60 years later 
um, always encouraging. They start with a devotional, you know, paragraph, several paragraphs, just kind of get the idea in you. It links you directly to esv.org's uh, verses that he's selected that day. And usually it's a, it's a significant portion of scripture, um, maybe a couple reference verses, but then one main chunk of scripture that he's uh, talking from. And then it always ends with the, a prayer of an ancient saint or a church father or whatnot. And again, I've probably mentioned this before, but it is a great resource and I really enjoy having it. Also, uh, to get access to the devotion, you have to donate something to his ministry um, on a monthly basis if you can afford it, but it's any amount. So I think I give like $2.62 um, to him. But for example, um, the series right now, Sermons from Martin Luther King, the weekly prayer is from Peter Williams Jr. He lived from 1786 to 1840. His prayer today was, oh Lord, we presume not to arraign your counsels. You know what is best. Though clouds and darkness are around you, justice and judgment are the habitation of your seat. Teach us, O oh Heavenly Father, teach us resignation to your will, and we shall find that all will be right in the end. Amen. Nice thoughts from all throughout Christian history, um, and they really do focus yourself on different aspects of God's character. So, with God Daily app. Mm. Cool. with God daily. My next one is the Every Dollar Budget app. Um, I have used this one for a few years now. It's how I do all of our monthly budgets. And um, I know that there are some other budgeting apps out there that will link directly to credit cards or debit cards. And this one does not. So that might be the only con of it. Like it, I have to manually enter it. But at the same time, um, I, I know if I'm entering in my expenses and have, like, say I go to Walmart or something and get something in our clothing budget or gro and grocery budget and pet budget, like, I need to break that up into different categories anyway. So um, anyway, as far as budgeting apps goes, it's really easy to use. It I'm allowed to um, tweak it each month based on income and what we're spending for, what we're saving for. And I really like the funds function on it where we can set up pretty much like a savings account um, or designate some dollars to go towards specific savings. Like right now we're saving for a bathroom renovation or saving for a future car or saving for that, you know, Amazon Prime membership that only comes up once a year that we need to make sure we have money tucked away for. So I appreciate that it helps me to think of our budget in yearly terms and seasonal terms. And then um, I feel pretty good about knowing that we have money set aside for the things that we'll need it for when those bills come. Terrific. And also, if you know you have to enter it in the budget, maybe you think twice about buying it. Is this really worth opening? Yes, it does help you to stick to a budget. And uh, yeah, we, I like, I, I've found budgeting to be helpful. I was definitely resistant to budgeting. I mean, I'm seriously, I've only done uh, consistent budgeting within the past five years, maybe. So um, definitely did not have that as a habit growing up. And I don't think my parents really had a budgeting system or anything to teach us. Basically just kept the checkbook balanced every month, which we don't do these days. So um, it, it's just good to know 
it actually helped us to feel better about when we did spend money because we would be able to see, oh yeah, the money is here and the money is for this. Um, you know, we even have budget accounts for fun money. Like, so we get whatever we want, you know, you get 30 or $50 this month and you can spend it on whatever you want. It doesn't matter. You can just, can you roll it over to have a larger, you can budget? roll it. So I have that as a savings so that it can roll over. So that's why Steve is for the next nine months going to be saving up for a $300 kilt. Another one. Yeah, man. <laughs> right. Is your next suggestion a kilt app? I wish. Oh, is there a kilt app? I don't know. You should check that out. Probably. Yeah. No, my next suggestion, Jeffrey, is podcasts. The app. <laughs> the Apple, Apple podcast. Podcasts. <laughs> we asked you five times to say it correctly and you still wouldn't do it. <laughs> I forgot. Um, there's not, I don't feel like there's a lot to say about this. I mean, it's pretty self-explanatory. It's just a pretty great library of um, really good podcasts. So um, I don't know, that's pretty much it. There's a pretty wide variety of things to choose from. So if you're a professional, and I suppose it's depending on you know what your profession is, but there's a lot of really high quality um, podcasts on here where they're like, for, for me, I'm a therapist. so. Um, there's stuff where they're interviewing like really big names in the field um, and, and getting firsthand knowledge from them. So um, that's pretty awesome to be able to sit in on those conversations. Um, and also, you know, there's like D&D podcasts and all that other stuff that's like way less, you know. Whatever you spend your time on, you can also spend more time listening about it. Yes, <laughs> that's right. Yeah. All right. Do you also want to give us your last? Speaking of D&D. Oh yeah, that's a great segue. Um, yeah, so I, I asked if I could fold two to in together and I was given permission. So um, roll 20 and D&D Beyond, you can kind of use them together so that it simplifies gameplay and stuff. So if you're doing online, which I think a lot of people are right now um, in terms of gaming and that kind of stuff, that... Uh, it just makes it way easier to play. Um, so you should check that out too. All right. Uh, my last one is an app called Slido. Uh, Slido is a website and app where you can arrange um, anonymous feedback to uh, groups of people. So we had a Campus 180 winter retreat via Zoom this past weekend, and I did a class on faith and mental health called Resilience and Reliance. And I wanted people to be able to kind of talk about their journey really freely and ask questions without being hesitant. I don't know if I want you know my leader at my campus to know I asked that question. So I set up a Slido and people were able to just kind of type it in and you know, there's no names next to it. There's no information about who sent it or what. Just here's my question. You know, what if you've been on medications forever? You know, does that make you a bad Christian or whatever? No one asked that specific question, but they could have because of the uh, anonymous nature that Slido allows. And you can set up polls in advance and do all sorts of things for large group engagement. Um, just a real easy way to get a group kind of giving you instant feedback. So Slido, S-L-I-D-O. 
And my final app is the Libby app. Uh, this is um, the way to connect to your library electronically. And uh, I'm a big reader, so it's been really helpful for me. Uh, I actually use it more for audiobooks than for ebooks. Although uh, throughout COVID, it's been really great to have a book on hold um, electronically uh, and get some of those some titles a little bit faster than I would if I had to wait for the print copy at my library. So uh, I appreciate that a lot. But the audiobooks I find, um, you know, just really enjoyable to listen to while I'm driving or doing chores. Um, I like that they have uh, speed options. You can either speed up the reader if they're kind of a slow reader or you can slow it down if it's at night and I slow it down sometimes. I listen to audiobooks to fall asleep. So um, I'll slow it down and uh, it's also got a sleep timer on it so I can set it to shut off after 20 or 30 minutes. Um, that way it doesn't wake me up later. Uh, and it's just been a really great way to keep up with all of my reading and um, like I'm connected to my local library system, but then also to the larger Philadelphia library system since we're in Pennsylvania. And Jeff, I know you said that you're connected to your local library and also to New York City's library collection. So uh, there are just a lot of options when you can connect to the larger city libraries and it's all free because it's just through your library account. And there are no fines because you never have an overdue product. They just take it away from you when it's done. <laughs> Yeah, Libby's great, and uh, you should definitely check it out. You should definitely have a library card, and whatever the big city in your state is, um, most of those things, because they're government-funded and paid for that by taxpayers, uh, everyone in the state is eligible to get those big city library um, library cards, and you just upload your account into your Libby, you switch back and forth between local and the big city, and you got access to tons and tons and tons of material. So those are our suggestions for really great apps that will just hopefully make your life a little bit nicer. Well, we are continuing our discipleship making experience series DMX. And we are hoping to have a guest for you soon to talk about some of the topics we're really excited about, but no guest tonight. Um, we are going to be talking about a big element of DMX, which was storytelling. So Stephen Tirza, it, it was kind of sprinkled throughout a couple different times. What do you remember about storytelling at DMX? I was the volunteer assistant That's right. in one of the storytelling examples. Um, I remember it being... It was interesting. It was pretty engaging, kind of automatically. You're listening, and um, I think the way that it was explained, you know, people people are kind of deep down. We're just really designed for stories. We like them. We we connect with them, um, and so it's it's a lot easier to take in information that way, and a lot um, a lot easier to communicate it that way. I think. So that's what I recall. I remember it being very uh, relational and interactive, I guess. So, and that it could be done with almost in any setting because he did the one storytelling session with Steve as an individual, as if he were just talking to a stranger 
but then he also did a storytelling session with a group of, I don't know, 20 of us. And uh, they both had different dynamics and feeling for sure, but uh, that it could be done in those two different settings. Um, so there wasn't a limit to people involved in it, but it was yeah, very engaging and interesting and um, strategic, but it was pretty cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and the he we are referring to at DMX was a man by the name of uh, Jim Thurber. I believe he lives in Seaside, California, right now. Seaside, Oceanside, Oceanside, yes. Um, seaside, Oceanside, somewhere beside water. Um, Jim Thurber introduces himself as a storyteller, um, and you know, in the example with Steve, he just gave the show for the whole group at DMX. This is how I would interact with someone I met in public, um, introduce, you know, or, or just a real basic greeting. Hi, how are you? Hey, where are you from? And right into it, I'm a storyteller and I'm going to tell you a story. And what story do you, do you remember what story he told you, Steve? Let me think. There was a bunch of stories throughout the weekend. Um, yeah. I think he told me he told me the story of Cain and Abel. Did he? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So this has been like months, and it that was like a, a two minute story or whatever, and I still, without too much hemming and hawing, anyway, <laughs> remember what what we talked about. Yeah. And uh, what were some of the other stories he told over the weekend? I remember Tears of You. What was the one we did in the big group? I that's what I was just trying to remember too. Um, it was an unusual one. It was uh, Moses, right? Moses talking to God and God asking Moses what he should do about these people. Like if he should destroy the Israelites because they were all complaining and doing the wrong things. And God was like, you know what? Maybe I want to start over with a new people, with a new promised people. Let's get rid of this group because they're just a bunch of whiners. And um, he actually asked for Moses for, I don't know, advice or just what he thought. You know, what do you think I should do about yeah. Moses? Yeah. And Moses was like, hey, God, I, you know, don't want to step on your toes here, but that could really affect your reputation. Right. Yeah. Um, Again, yeah, like after a while, what did we talk about that for like an hour, hour and oh, it was minutes? It was an hour and a half or an hour and 45 minutes. And it did not feel like that long. Like it was interesting the entire mm-hmm. time. Mm-hmm. And we as a group really, you know, we interpreted the scripture. We discussed its implications. We prayed through it a bit. And then we talked about how it was going to kind of move us in our lives. And, you know, what were the implications? Like God... God wanted Moses's input in that situation. And, you know, is there something we don't really think about often, but does God trust his people? We know he trusts Jesus, but does he actually trust us who have the spirit within us and who he's given responsibility, whether it's responsibility over our families or responsibility over ministries or responsibilities like Moses over a whole nation? You know, God trusts us and wants is interested in what our thoughts are and the bible's full of questions so uh yeah i've been uh actually having zoom 
classes, workshops, I don't know what to call them, with Jim. We've done three or four so far, and he's actually started to teach me um, a little bit about his approach, his method, um, how to learn a story, how to tell a story, and how to get people telling stories is his ultimate goal. Um, Jim Thurber has been doing stories for 11 years. He says he's told over 2,850 stories in 11 years. In 11 years, asking, can I tell you a story? 59 people have said no. And, you know, all those times telling stories, he says, I can count on one hand. One hand, the amount of times people were hostile, antagonistic, you know, angry, you know, all the rest of the times people love stories. And Jim, Jim said it at DMX and he said to me several times when he started telling stories, he was actually getting frustrated with God that people weren't getting frustrated with him. You know, we, we have this kind of assumption that if I just like walk up to a stranger and start talking about something from the Bible, there's going to be an automatic resistance and mm -hmm. frustration and anger that's going to be directed towards him. And he said, uh, he started praying, God, why aren't the people getting angry? And God's like response to him was, why don't you ask them? You know, as you tell these stories, ask people why, why they liked it, why they were happy with it. What was it? Do you remember at all what he said about stories? No. No. He said, you know, it, it basically boiled down to kind of two categories. I understood the story and I enjoyed the story. You know, I, I, I had fun with it. You know, I enjoyed being engaged by it. And, and it was clear the way it was told. It was really easy to understand and follow. Do you guys ever like use stories in just regular life? Um, I mean, Steve's a good storyteller. He has, he's got some anecdotes, you know, that he'll share at parties or <laughs> social. It's not like socially. I go around regaling people. You do? My you do regale us, Steve. And the stories are always so over the top absurd that they're almost unbelievable. Yeah, and they're not just about him, like he'll tell stories about other people, like other people's stories, you know, that he witnessed or that, that he heard about, you know, he just, I think you like to tell stories. I'm not a storyteller. I bet you <laughs> You're are. a story reader. I am a story reader, that's true. Yeah. I love stories and I would probably happily say yes to anybody who wanted to tell me a story. And that's, you know, that's one of Jim's big points. You know, he says it over and over and over again. People love stories. People like stories. You know, there's just something about stories that grab our attention. Um, he talks about some of our approaches to talking with strangers about our faith. We have this idea, that concept that people don't know how much that you know until no people don't care how much that you know until they know how much you care you know and so you have to build this relationship up before you can start engaging someone about their spiritual life um and his his attitude is if, if you have won a person's attention through a story you don't have that full level and relationship of trust but 
you have enough of their attention and enough of their trust that they've given you this time that the last question in his approach is always, can I tell you another story sometime? And if they say yes, he gets out his calendar, puts something on over the next couple of days and says, I'll see you there. And he says, you know, a lot of times people don't show up. People forget to show up. People just, you know, never really intended it, but they wanted to make you feel good because you told them a story and that's okay. Um, goal is to, for the people that do show up, tell them another story and tell them another story and get them wanting to believe that the stories are true. You know, when you get someone wanting these stories, you know, I want that kind of life. I want that kind of faith. I want that kind of caring. I want that kind of loyalty. Um, well, when you start desiring inside yourself for these stories to, to be true and to come to life, um, that makes you really soft towards God. Mm-hmm. Steve, um, just kind of from the therapy perspective, does any of that kind of ring true for how people work or what people are kind of going through and looking for? Yeah, yeah, it does. I'm trying to think through, um, you know, there's a form of therapy called narrative therapy. And it's, and and it's, this isn't like my area of expertise or like how I approach treatment, but um, essentially it's this idea, you know, we tell ourselves stories about ourselves. Um, we frame our lives in a particular narrative and we get, we can get stuck in it. Hmm. Um, and so sometimes what we need is to, to reframe the story that we're in, right. Um, to tell ourselves a different kind of story. And I, I think that this really can, like, I, I think that it's pretty easily, um, integrated with that right because we we're see we see the world a certain way we see ourselves a certain way the things that happen in the world a certain way and if we're hearing another story that makes sense of those things to us and like helps us to maybe shift our our viewpoint maybe start to consider some other options right like maybe it, it feels like oh this is the only way but we start to bring some different things, some different ideas. And then we start to be able to consider different, different ways of understanding what happens and what we can do and what the world's like. So that absolutely makes sense to me, you know, that, yeah, that would believing, wanting to believe that that's true, um, can soften us. The other thing, I'll just be real brief with this. I know that in couples therapy, so this is me, I'm speculating a little bit that this that um i mean my neurobiology is not great i can't ever remember what parts of the brain do what but um in couples therapy a lot of times you'll be talking to somebody and somebody will say like um you know the spouse will turn to the one to somebody and say you know i i love you and i really care about you and i'm sorry about what happened and they'll kind of take it in but what they need is you need to hear it like about five times before it really starts to sink in, you know, in repetition and before it starts to sink in and these different parts of our brain begin to be um, activated and we can kind of have a different stance towards it. And I think like, again, story, a lot of times there's, there are repetitive elements to it, right? There's things that make it easier to remember, to recall. And if we're hearing these stories over and over and they're telling us, maybe it's different stories, but there's similar themes right? 
I can see again how that too could help us to soften towards God and start like kind of taking things in and really considering them. So I think there's probably a lot of value in that. Yeah. Here's a, as a, as a mom, as someone that works in a social work related field, anytime you use stories to kind of help people understand like what you're trying to communicate as far as importance or anything like that, or any other way that you're kind of responding to what Steve had to say about stories or what I've said so far. Yeah, I mean, I don't tell so many stories as I listen to them um, as a case manager. And it's, you know, through a series of meetings and conversations with a person that their story will unfold. And I'm kind of trying to put together the pieces or, or trying to get a whole picture of what's going on. And as they share their story, then I'm understanding um, I don't know how things, how they perceive the world, how they perceive their relationships, their family, their own like capabilities. And uh, my role as a case manager is to help them to, to kind of recognize things in their story, at least in the character that they've painted for me, like when they're talking about themselves, you know, that, you know, they actually have what they need um, and they can do what they need to do. So trying to infuse that hope and confidence in them that you have what you need to do what you need to do. And um, I mean, there might be other things that we can identify that would help you to do that, but they're not lacking um, that they are whole or, or even just like empathizing with their story. Like I see like I can understand why you feel that way. I understand um, why you reacted or why, why you're choosing to do this. Um, just being able to hear a story, empathize with it or help them to illuminating parts of their story that they may not be able to see for themselves mm -hmm. is kind of my role. Well, one of the things that Jim did, um, sorry, Jeff. No, say it. Yeah, one of the things that I remember Jim doing was, he, he, as he was telling me the story of Cain and Abel, like, Steve, you know, did you ever experience anything like that in your life? Right? Like, did you ever, like, what do, what do you think about that? Does that, what, what would you do? And it's like this instant connecting point, right? So as you're hearing that story, being able to, like, um, to relate, right? Like, to Yeah, you to identify find, in, in Cain, like, there's jealousy, you know? Right. Or maybe shame because he his offering wasn't as good as Abel's, you know, and yeah, we've all felt jealousy and maybe didn't murder our brother over it, but we can relate to the feelings. Mm -hmm. So just when you were talking about empathy, I think that stories when we're really listening to them, we can find a connecting point that, that helps to build that too. I think there's a lot of value in that. Yeah, that's a great point. Um. I want to actually tell the story Jim's been teaching me. I know one story in Jim's kind of, Jim will say he knows over a hundred stories. He has a, a method for learning stories easily, for telling stories, and then for building small groups around stories. You can use stories one-on-one, -on -one, small groups, and you can even, even do it in that big group setting like we had that 20 person gathering that we did it in but he uses stories he doesn't preach sermons when he goes to a church he goes in and leads a church service through 
a story even and that's what i really captured my imagination for like it would be so great i have to preach this sunday i'm preaching through parables of jesus when i preach um so i'm telling stories already stories, yeah and it's just the stories of jesus and what are the implications of those stories for our lives you know how do we misunderstand those stories what you know what is it that we're supposed to take from this story that jesus told us and it'd be so so much more my personality so it'd be so much easier to come through to to, to present that scripture as a story that paints an image in a person's head rather than that lecture model that mm -hmm. so much of our education system so much of our you know church sunday is kind of built around one person talking to a group and the group sitting there shaking their head yes you know mm -hmm. bumping the person next to you i hope you're listening because that part's for you not for me mm -hmm. um yeah but when you tell the story it brings everybody in so anyway uh stories are great people like stories god likes stories because jesus told stories all the time 80 percent of what jesus says according to jim is either you know stories and questions you know very little response to direct questions it's usually well let me tell you a story and what do you think about this story Jesus was a story lover the holy spirit's a story lover because he filled the bible with narrative stories about the people of israel and the beginning of the church and this guy named jesus and this guy named paul and moses and david and just story story stories um stories are great and if you want to learn jim's you know method for learning i'm going to give you some information about him here at the end but i'm going to tell you the very quick story he gave me as my first assignment learn this story and then he's going to teach me how to kind of build off that but i'm going to go through the whole thing from you so uh jim always starts with a novel american greeting hi how are you respond just great. Yeah, doing well. Thanks. How are you? I too am doing well. Uh, where are you from? Oh, I'm from Belfont, Pennsylvania. Really? Been there long? Seems like it. <laughs> <laughs> we are coming up on 10 years actually this year, right. later this year. Yeah. That is wild. I'm from Rochester, New York myself. I'm a storyteller or a storyteller in training, and I want to tell you a story. And this story is about a man named Obadiah. And this is how the story starts. Obadiah managed or supervised the palace of King Ahab and Queen Jezebel. And Obadiah feared the Lord greatly. In fact, when Queen Jezebel was murdering the Lord's prophets, Obadiah took a hundred of them and hid them in two groups of 50 in two caves. He even brought them food and water. And that's the end of the story. Now I want you to help me retell the story real quick, uh, just by filling in some blanks. Obadiah did what for the king and queen? Shoot. Hold on. Some kind of overseer. Yeah, supervisor. Supervisor. Yes. Exactly. Terrific. He managed their palace. Very good. And... He worked for the king and queen, but who was he really fearful and respectful of? The Lord. God. Very good. And there was something the queen was doing that Obadiah opposed. Murdering prophets. Yeah, murdering the Lord's prophets. Very good. Um, and besides rescuing them, he did one more thing for these people. Do you remember what it was? 
he also brought them food and water. Terrific. You guys got 100% of my blanks. Very good job. So Obadiah rescues 100 prophets. He hides them away and he brings them food and water. What else could Obadiah have done with his life and his time here as manager of the palace? On top of that or instead of that? Hmm. Well, instead of that, he could have like distanced himself, right? Absolutely. Protected himself. Yeah, I mean, why is he working for somebody who he fundamentally disagrees with what they're doing? <laughs> right. Terrific. He could have just, I'm not going to have any part of this and I'm not going to be held responsible for it. Um, he also just could have minded his own business, right? Mm-hmm. Um, one person I told the story to said, well, he could have killed the queen. <laughs> high treason. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah, absolutely. Um, what do we learn about Obadiah's personality or character through the story? He's strategic, I think. Splitting splitting the groups into two, uh, splitting it into two groups of 50, so one's found. You know, there's oh. still remnant. Great thought. I hadn't even considered that, like, there was purpose behind splitting them up. I mean, well, I'm thinking, like, how many caves around can hold 50 capacity? <laughs> like, um, but uh, yeah, your st- strategic was a good word. Um, like, as far as the, he had to plan this all out, like, I mean, I'm guessing he is doing this conspicuously. So, first, he's like sneaking. He's not asking Jezebel for the day off to go rescue 100 prophets. Yes, or he's, what, what are all these prophets doing in this area where this woman's killing them anyway? Um, they're all flocking to Jezebel. <laughs> um, she was offering a discount, something on. Yes, but anyway, um, but he's got some operation going on where he's like sneaking them away, getting them into hiding, and then somehow providing food for a hundred people at two different locations. Like mm. what kind of food service does he have? They didn't have food trucks or commercial kitchens like he's got to have people who are cooking he can't cook during his off time i'm sure why would like he can't cook in his job at the palace um anyway a lot of questions but he's he's got it all worked out yeah so you know there's a lot of missing information well but we we know about him he's strategic he's he's pretty bold to be going under the queen and king's nose you know working against them um he's he's prepared those are great qualities. Um, can you think of an example, either someone you know personally, someone you've read about or seen in the movies that has any of those kind of qualities? Yeah. Um, I just gotta think specifics here. Oh, I think of someone well, we just had a, like we had a chat on Sunday with one of our old friends from Thailand who's running an organization there called Partners. Oh. And they, work with refugees who are refugees in Myanmar and Burma who are fleeing from the Burmese army that's trying to kill them and burn down their villages. So teams like that where like you've got a small team of maybe five people going in and getting villagers to pack up their belongings, everything they can carry. And then they're trekking for miles through the forest. They're finding food on the track as they go. They're finding shelter or creating their own shelter sleeping, but they've got all of these systems in place for how to safely get, you know, hundreds of displaced villagers to safety. 
And then when they're in safety, you know, then it's providing education, providing food, providing shelter, providing work, um, all of that on a long-term basis until they can get to permanency somewhere. Mm -hmm. Wow. Knowing that you had that example really brings to light a little bit why you saw those qualities in Obadiah, and that makes a lot of sense. Is there any way Obadiah's story can help us and kind of model some of or, or mold some of our reactions and behaviors? Yeah, I mean, one, I, th I think, I don't know, just thinking through whatever kind of situations we find ourselves in, that there's going to be people maybe that we work for or um, or we spend time with that we disagree with. Um, and there's still ways, or maybe even like deeply disagree with, right? They're actually doing wrong stuff. And there's um, ways for us to kind of hold our responsibilities and also do, you know, things to kind of counter what they're doing. If that makes sense. But he was a supervisor at the castle. He's still doing his job, it sounds like. Or I could say castle, palace, whatever. I don't know. Um, but he was at the same time, like, doing what his, his real responsibility, right? He's serving God. So if, if, like, if that priority is right, then we can still hold those other responsibilities, but ultimately do the thing that we know is the right thing to do, I guess. I feel like that was very Yeah, well, I was thinking through it that, that kind of hit what I was thinking too, is that he was strategically placed. Um, he was where he needed to be to do what God wanted him to do. And although like he couldn't save every prophet, but he could save those hundred. Um, and, you know, sometimes we, like he may not have enjoyed working as the manager for a, a person he was fundamentally against and didn't like what they were doing. And we often find ourselves in positions that like, I don't really like this part of my job or I really don't like my job at all or I'm having a really hard time at home right now, but there could be something in there that like we are strategically placed or like there's something there that we can do even if it's not all going perfectly. Yeah, and, and all all of that idea, right? Esther's in place for such a time as this. Moses mm -hmm. is in place. David's where he should be at the army the day that Goliath comes out yelling. He's ready to step in and you know, stand in the gap for those that won't do it or can't do it for themselves. And gosh, God is always about, you know, defending and, and protecting and rescuing. Mm -hmm. And it does pay, take, you know, those, those bold characters, those strategic people, those people that recognize the importance of where they are and are still willing to kind of take a risk and do something despite the fact that there could be real, uh, real consequences. So, Oh, great responses to everything. Um, if you have time, would you like to hear another story someday? Mm -hmm. Yes. All right. Tell us when you have your second one ready. <laughs> I will, but we won't record it on a podcast, hopefully. Um, yeah, so, so, so that's it. You know, you, you tell a story once, you retell it, you focus it in. You know, right after Steve was done filling in the blanks, I focused in. Obadiah rescued those 100 people. He provided them food and water, too. 
who else is an example of that? What do we know about Obadiah? You know, is there a way that that story can help us in our life? You know, some strategic questions afterward that just get us to, to really engage, to get our listener to put themselves in the story in a way. And you guys did that exactly, you know, talking about, well, you know, we know ministers that are doing this exact thing, rescuing people in danger, you know, pulling people from the brink, you know, and providing for them their needs. And, you know, there's plenty of people that want to see justice done. There's plenty of people that want to see, you know, those that are oppressed, saved, you know, there's less that are willing to put themselves at risk to do it themselves. And what a great story Obadiah gives us, you know, especially today when there are so many refugee situations across the globe and we are facing a lot of justice issues in our own culture. Um, it's pretty relevant stuff. Mm-hmm. So. I haven't heard a sermon on Obadiah in a while, a oh. sermon or story. Boy, yeah. So anyway, my homework uh, was to tell a stranger that I'd never met before the story of Obadiah. Yeah. So I was at the carpet store today and I'm like, I'm not going to talk to these employees about the, no? <laughs> about Obadiah. I was actually, uh, I dropped our three-year-old off at her nursery school just timed right that me and this lady are walking back to our cars and it's snowy and blustery and our like hoods are flying off our heads and ah Rochester weather whatever and I'm like I should ask her if I can tell her a story and I didn't do it um but I did go to a, a birthday party uh tonight and uh several people that I did not know were there and I was able to grab one of them and go I've got some homework for a storytelling class I'm taking can I tell you a story quickly and it was a good, good exercise, but definitely <laughs> stretching. And I know he's not going to say, okay, now you can have a week off of not telling strangers. <laughs> so, Well, there you go. So you told your first story. I told, well, I, I've told Obadiah several times <laughs> since learning it. And um, yeah, so maybe there's a stranger listening to it and I doubled up on my homework. Um, so congratulations. You helped me finish my homework. Let me know that you helped me and I'll send you a gift. I don't know what the gift is, but it'll be great. A high five. I can't send a high five. I have to give that directly. Anyway. You can draw a picture of a hand. I could. Mail that. Outline your hand. Yeah. So that's basically storytelling, DMX. Uh, if it's interesting to you, if you want more information, uh, I can give you contact information for Jim Thurber. Check out our show notes in there. Saturation Global's uh, kind of theme or catchphrase. What is it? What's the company's slogan? The slogan is making God look good, Jesus well-known, and disciples well-trained. So a pretty good mission statement wrapped up in that slogan. But thanks so much for being with us. And Tears, you want to close us out? All right, I'll do another benediction kind of thing. And this is actually lyrics from Leonard Cohen from his song Anthem. It says, ring the bells that still can ring. Forget your perfect offering. There's a crack in everything. That's how the light gets in. Um, Just really short lyrics that uh, spoke to me this week in one of the books I've been reading um, that 
it's, I mean, it's okay when, when things are broken, you know, they say you can rebuild it and it can be stronger, but um, I liked that imagery of when there are cracks, light can get in. And sometimes, you know, like it's our stubbornness or hard will or pride, something needs to crack in order for light to shine in and um, get in, re remove some of that darkness because we can, you know, build layers and layers and layers on top of things that we want to keep hidden. And uh, we need to kind of exercise some vulnerability and have some things be willing to be cracked a little bit so that we can get some light. I love it. Thanks so much. All right. You can check out other Campus 180 radio shows by visiting us on the web at anchor.fm, Campus 180 Radio. And you can find out more about our ministry by visiting our website, campus180.com, or search for Campus 180 on Instagram and Facebook. Email the show at this podcast at campus180.com. That's O-N-E-8-0.com. And we would love to engage with you. We will see you in a couple weeks. Steven Tirza, it's been fun. Later. Yeah. Thanks, Jeff. Bye, guys. Bye.